Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome once again, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. This is a special edition. Jim Cal is joining us from Chicago. Aaron Fitt here in the podcast nook. John Manuel is going to give you the little intro, so I won't talk over anybody uh, here on the Baseball America podcast. We're talking Cape Cod League top prospects with our college expert, Aaron Fitt, and our Cape Cod League expert, Jim Callis. Uh, Jim, the Cape really does, uh, I guess what we do with all the summer college leagues, and Aaron and I just did a 30-some minute podcast on all the other leagues, but the Cape really does kickstart our 2009 coverage of the draft. That's where we really start ranking everybody. Um, why don't you talk about the Cape a little bit, just in that context, and just uh, uh, whether or not the Cape uh, retains its place as the ultimate summer college league in, uh, in college baseball? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, I think there's a number of leagues that do a good job and don't get nearly the same notoriety. Two, two of the newer summer leagues, you know, the New England Collegiate League, you know, last year gave us Steven Strasburg as probably the first time I'd ever really heard of him. Uh, you know, you have the Northwoods League, which is up uh, my way in the Midwest, which seeks to kind of duplicate the the atmosphere you'd get playing in the lower minor leagues. Um, and, you know, the Alaska League's been around for a while, but I think the Cape still is the, the, the top destination. In some cases, I think guys prefer going to the Cape over playing for Team USA. You know, not as much travel, a little bit more of a leisurely pace, and you're still facing a lot of, of top competition. You know, it, it's you know one of the things to keep in mind when you look at the Cape. Uh, you know, we do this, and I'm sure fans do too. You know, you look at the statistics, you want to see how guys perform, and I think people know that the Cape is a is a pitchers league, but but people need to keep in mind that it's you know very much a pitchers league this year. You know, I was looking at the league numbers as a whole. Uh, the league hit 250 with a 337 on base percentage, 347 slugging percentage, 3.64 ERA, and those are the highest numbers this decade. So, the statistics and the performance, you know, are important. You want to look at those, but it, you know, it's very tilted in favor of the pitchers, and you can't go solely off. Hey, this guy has a two and a half ERA. It's not the same as having a two and a half ERA, say, against metal bats in the SEC or the Pac-10 or the ACC. You know, it's it's a little bit different. Jim Aaron Fit here. I, I think one of the things that uh, is interesting about the league this year is is you know you talk about how it's a pitchers league, and, and certainly it is. But uh, top two prospects on your your top thirty list here. Uh, are Grant Green and Dustin Ackley, who I think are probably the top two offensive prospects for the draft next year. Uh, what, what did you think about the way the talent broke down this year uh, as compared to, to recent seasons up there? I, I, think, I think you're exactly right, Aaron. I think those are your top two position guys for next year's draft. and I, I think they're their top two position guys uh, pretty much hands down. I don't know if, I don't know 
who the third guy would be who'd be really close to those two guys. Uh, the Cape was a little weird this year, and it kind of mirrored at least what I saw when I was doing a lot of our Midwest draft preview stuff. A lot of the best pitchers in the Cape about this spring or this summer, rather, a lot of the best pitchers this summer are guys who aren't going to be eligible for next year's draft. You know, I had the, the best pitcher up there, I think, is Matt Harvey of North Carolina. He's not going to be eligible. Uh, the, the second best starting pitcher up there, or I'm sorry, actually the best starting pitcher up there because Harvey pitched in relief is Brandon Workman of Texas. He's not eligible for next year. That's just that way. It was that way during the, the spring, too, when I was doing Midwest. So many of the, you know, maybe that was, you know, unique for the Big 12 and some of the other conferences, but it just seemed like a lot of these teams, their best pitchers aren't going to be eligible for next year's draft. And so that's why I think, you know, Green and Ackley stood out even more. Uh, th- those two guys and Matt Harvey were head and shoulders above the league for me. Let's talk a little bit about, about Grant Green, Jim, because, um, you know, you, ha- you had the comparison in here where I think a, a scout compared him to Evan Longoria or, or Schiffner, maybe it was, I think, from, from Chatham. Uh, do you like that comp? I mean, does, it, does he remind you of that kind of a player, or do you think it, it, does he have a chance to stick at shortstop in pro ball? It seems like a lot of people think he does. Yeah, you know, the, the Longoria love, you know, it, it was both of them, both his manager, John Shifter, who managed Longoria up there, and a scouting director threw Evan Longoria out there. And, uh, you know, it's interesting with Green, you know, a year ago, he was a freshman in the league, you know, he made our top 30. He was one of a handful of players in the league with, with double figures in, in extra base hits and steals, but he kind of took a back seat a little bit. He played for Yarmouth Dennis, which was a championship club. He was not the regular shortstop. The regular shortstop was Gordon Beckham, who led the league in homers and went on to you know be the eighth overall pick in this year's draft. And that team also had Buster Posey and Jason Castro. It was just a loaded team, and he was kind of more you know in a back seat. He wound up playing for Chatham this summer, uh, reached double figures in extra base hits and steals again, which is pretty rare feet up there and you know i knew going into this i kind of suspected he'd rank number one uh when i did my prep i thought he was the number one guy and and heard that pretty much from everybody i talked to up there managers and scouts that said i i was surprised longoria's name got thrown out as much as it did just because of how good you know longoria is one of the best college hitters in recent memory obviously came in a pro ball hit right away got to the major leagues very quickly and has done nothing but star um, but, you know, it, I heard that comp from a lot of people. Gut feel, I don't know if he's quite that hitter. I think Grant Green is a very good hitter. To me, Evan Longoria is an elite hitter. And, and like you touched on Aaron, I think the thing he has over Longoria is I think he's got a chance to stay at shortstop. He's kind of big for a shortstop, 6'3", 205 pounds. Did lead the league in errors, but he's got the range and the arm and the and the fluid actions to stay there. So I think that's where he kind of has the advantage over Longoria. I don't think he's going to be quite that hitter. He also got comped a little bit, Detroit to Olitsky. Um And I think, you know, that might be a better comp because I think he's going to stay it short. I think he might even be a little bit better hitter than Tulowitzki and, you know, maybe not quite as good a defender but, but comparable defender. So I, I think the Tulowitzki comp probably works a little bit better than Longoria. I just think Longoria is more of a, a slugging third baseman, and then Green's more of a, a very good hitting shortstop. Now, is the consensus up there that, that Dustin Ackley is uh, the better pure hitter than Grant Green? I don't know. I, I guess my question, Jim, is what, how do you profile Dustin Ackley? Because he's such a unique player. He seems like he kind of defies uh, an easy, an easy uh, profile. I mean, I've heard I've heard people compare him to Steve Finley. I've heard people compare him to Kevin Euclid in different ways. I mean, it, there's all kinds of different ways you can profile him. What, what, what's your take on Ackley? Yeah, the, the Finley comp might be a good one. Um, you know, one of the reasons it's kind of difficult to profile him too is the position where everybody wants to see him play is center field, where he has not played at North Carolina. 
um, because he's had arm problems. He wound up having Tommy John surgery. And so that's what everybody's looking for next year is, you know, have a healthy arm. You know, and I don't know. I mean, you, is he going to play center for them next year, Aaron? Is that the plan? I think the, the, the plan is for him to play. I, I suspect he'll be a, like a left field type just to be as, as easy as possible on his arm. But uh, I'm sure they would love to see him play center field. Uh, they have Mike Cavazzini in that mix also. I, I don't, I'm not sure if they're, they're quite sure yet how that outfield mix is going to play out. Well, see, and then in that case, it might even be more difficult to provide. I mean, he's got plus speed, even though he's played mostly first base for the Tar Heels. He has plus speed, and people believe he can play center field, but nobody's really seen him play out there extensively to see what kind of instincts he has, um, to see how that speed plays in center. And that's why I think there's some confusion as to what exactly this guy's going to be. But I could see the Steve Finley comparison maybe working. Um, you know, he, he is the best pure hitter uh, in the league, the best pure hitter in college baseball. Um, you know, consistently squares balls up, you know, very good balanced hitter, um, you know, type of guy who's probably going to keep adding power as he gets older and stronger. But, uh, you know, I, I think that Steve Finley comp may work, but, you know, if he, if he winds up not playing center field, it's going to be interesting. You know, I mean, he'll still go high in the draft, but, I mean, that, that's a position where guys want to see him, and they may not get to see much of him there, whoever picks him before they draft him. You know, the, the comparison that, that John Manuel likes to make about him is, John is not shy when it comes to projecting Dustin Ackley. He throws out the name Tony Gwynn. He says if this guy has to play a corner, uh, can't he be that kind of a player? I don't know, you know, to compare a guy to Tony Gwynn, one of the best pure hitters of all time, is, is pretty pretty lofty indeed. But, is I mean, is he that kind of bad, do you think? Um, Maybe. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, Tony Gwynn won how many batting titles? Seven or eight? And I mean, so I, I don't know if I'd quite do that because I just think that's – I mean, you're talking about the high end. To me, that's kind of like – you know, if you're comparing – it'll be like if you compared, say, James Simmons in the A's system who was a first-round pick two years ago. I mean he's a right-handed pitcher with very good command. That would be like comparing him to Greg Maddox kind of. Right. I mean that's kind of the extreme, you know, high end of, of the profile. I mean I can see Ackley being that type of, you know, your good athletic corner outfielder who hits for high average – uh, I'll let John Manuel throw Tony Gwynn out there. I'm not going to quite do that myself yet. <laughs> All right, so Jim, looking at the rest of your top ten here, uh, one name that I guess just leaps off the page at me is Ben Tootle from Jacksonville State. Uh, I think a lot of people know about Matt Harvey and, and Brandon Workman and DJ LeMayhew, these guys who were really high-profile freshmen coming in last year. Uh, but Ben Tootle, who the heck is Ben Tootle, Jim? Where did this guy come from? He's a, he's a starting pitcher at Jacksonville State, and, you know, the a lot of the Cape, uh, you know, these, these guys, it's funny, you know, I don't think fans realize that Cape, recruiting on the Cape is pretty much a year-round process. You're always looking for guys and for information. And essentially, uh, the Braves have a scout down in you know, Alabama. Jacksonville State's actually in Alabama, not Florida. A guy named Brian Bridges, who used to be a pitching coach at Falmouth, tipped off the Commodores. Hey, there's a guy down here with a pretty good arm. And that's how Ben Tootle became a Falmouth Commodore. And, you know, Falmouth does a great job year in, year out. They haven't won a championship. I'm not sure who knows how long. But they, they go to the playoffs every year. And I always joke with their manager, Jeff Trundy, that – I think Falmouth annually has more players that I've never really heard a whole lot about who emerge as top prospects on the Cape. They just find these guys that, that don't seem to have gotten a lot of hype, and then by the end of the summer, you're saying, wow, these guys are unbelievable. I mean, last year, you know, Aaron Crow, Christian Friedrich, uh, Shooter Hunt a couple of years ago, Dallas Buck emerged. I mean, you can go on and on. You know, Dallas Buck was a name, but, but you know, on and on guys who've emerged for Falmouth. And Tootle, you know, he's interesting. He, he's, I have him ranked as the best draft-eligible pitcher from the Cape because Harvey and Workman are only going to be sophomores next year. 
Um, and he had the best stuff in the league. You know, pitched in relief. You know, fastball range, 94, 98 miles an hour all all summer. And he had, you know, what some people thought was the best slider in the league, real hard slider. Now, that said, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how it goes. You know, his command isn't tremendous. His fastball can get straight. His breaking ball kind of has a, a, a big break, so lefties hit it a lot more easily than righties. He has some things to work on. You know, he's a starting pitcher at Jacksonville State. I think I'm pretty sure he's going to continue in that role next year. I, I think he projects more as a reliever, though, um, just because he's going to fit in that role. And, I mean, you're probably looking at a guy who, if the draft were today, Ben Toodle's probably a you know, mid to late first-round pick right now. And I, you, you cover a lot more college baseball than I had, and you hadn't heard of him, and I hadn't heard of him before this summer. And he's really one of the breakthrough guys of the Cape this spring or summer. It seems like there's there's guys like that every year up there who just who just explode onto the scene in the Cape Cod League. Um, another guy on this list that I'm kind of excited about is Brett Jackson, a guy who was on my radar last year uh, doing the North Woods League list. He was a guy who did not make the top ten up in the North Woods League, but um, a guy that I really wanted to put on there. I wish I had in retrospect because. He, he was he's an outstanding athlete even then just just raw offensively uh, it sounds like he's 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 still raw offensively but maybe uh, got a chance to put it together and being a, a pretty exciting player yeah I, th- I think that's accurate I mean I think he is still that guy he's I, I wouldn't call him a first round pick right now but uh, you could easily see him becoming a first round pick if he develops next spring I mean he's he hit 238 struck out almost once a game. Up there, so he's still putting it together. But I mean, he's got you know life in his bat. He runs well. He's six foot two, two hundred and ten pounds. Uh, shows good power in batting practice. His arm is solid. I mean, you could you could make a case for playing him in center or right. Uh, you know, Mike Roberts, the old North Carolina coach, who's the manager of the Katua team, Brett Jackson played for, and that team went to the finals and lost this summer. You know, Mike's tremendous to talk to about Cape prospects because he'll he'll tell you how it is. You know, he will not just pump up a guy for the sake of pumping him up and you know he he, he compared him physically to jd drew then you know he, he he went to great pain and say look he's not what jd drew was at the same stage of his career because jd drew was a superstar you know and brett's still figuring it figuring it out but if you, if you look at him athletically you know that that's what you could see him developing into if the back continues to, to make progress is he could become maybe jd drew you know if he gets stronger and, and refines his bat more then we got uh, at number 11 another guy i kind of wanted to highlight here is robbie shields uh, a player who um, I think there's a wide maybe range of opinion on this guy. I know that some people are, are really, really high on this guy and think he's one of the top prospects in the entire draft for next year. Uh, he was a guy that, that we had on our radar last summer in the Clark Griffith League. I think, we, I think we had him number four in the Clark Griffith League list. Probably should have been higher than that, again, in retrospect. But a guy who really seems like he, he, can't, he pulled it together this summer. Um, what, what do you think about this guy? Yeah, and I, I don't think we should beat ourselves up too much because he was only fourth in Clark Griffith League because these guys do get better as time goes on. And, 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 you know, I think that's one of the kind of fun things about these summer top ten leagues. I mean, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, admittedly, I mean, I don't think there's that many fans, you know, outside of you. You mentioned the Clark Griffith League, and I grew up in northern Virginia where a lot of those teams are based. And, I mean, I don't think there's a lot of fans outside of northern Virginia who are clamoring for, you know, who wins the Clark Griffith League. But it's a way to identify players you're going to hear more about down the line. And, you know, and, and you know, I hadn't even realized, I, you know, I guess I, I read our list a year ago. I didn't remember Robbie Shields from that list, you know, until I was putting this list together. And somebody mentioned that he, he was a tough guy to figure out only because – a lot of guys will scout the Cape toward the end of the summer as you get further away from the draft and you catch the All-Star game at the end of the summer. And Shields was gone. He had some 
some hand problems when he arrived on the Cape, and, and after seven games, he did a headfirst slide. He was about 420, I think. Headfirst slide into, I want to say, third base on triple and, and got a fracture in his right wrist and tore some ligaments, uh, thumb ligaments, uh, uh, you know, on a headfirst slide. And, uh, you know, so basically nobody saw him. He probably played for another four or five games. You know, it was too much, and he wound up, you know, leaving the Cape and had to go back to Florida Southern. But so, so a lot of scouts didn't get a big look at him. I did try to talk to some area guys who would seen him in Florida. And they like him. You know, he's a guy to watch. You know, none of them had him as, oh, this guy is going to be a first-round pick you know, before he headed to the Cape. And you know, we'll have to see. I mean, I think his, his standout tool, Aaron, is his bat speed. It, it's very quick bat. He's got a lot of pop for middle infielder. He plays shortstop. You know, the question is, where is he going to wind up? You know, he's got some arm strength. That, that's fine. His speed is pretty average, range pretty average. Um, you know, kind of you know, what you call his actions as shortstop, just kind of average. And you know, not the he's not the the standout defender the teams really are going to want at shortstop. You know, can he play there for a while? Yes. Some guys think he's going to be a, th- a third baseman or a second baseman in the future, and you know that's going to affect his value somewhat. You know, Mike Roberts again, you had him on his Katua club. He thought he was the best player in the league for the first two weeks of the season when a lot of guys, you know, Ackley and Harvey are off the College World Series, and and he said he thought he would have been one of the you know top you know five players in the league had he been healthy all year. And Mike Roberts compared him to Aaron Hill. Um, and I could kind of see that, you know, I mean, I, I want to see more about how, you know, more about what he does next season at Florida Southern, which is a division two school, but is, you know, a, a division two power, uh, could he, you know, and, and they face pretty good competition. I'll be curious to see how this guy plays next spring. Um, but I, I could see that Aaron Hill comp. It doesn't sound like this guy's going to stay it short, but it sounds like he can be an interesting, you know, offensive infielder and, you know, be good enough to play their second or third base. Another thing about this about this this Cape League crop this year is, um, you know, looking at your list here, there's there's a lot of these uh, corner infielders, uh, first baseman really, uh, that seem kind of similar. I mean, you got Ben Paulson from Clemson and Rich Poitras from Georgia, who really I think had kind of a coming out party uh, in the, in the postseason for the Bulldogs after a a fine Coastal Plain League performance last summer. Uh, Kevin Patterson from Auburn, who, who really was a high profile guy coming out of high school. Uh, was, was regarded as one of the most powerful guys in that freshman class. And, and then later on in the list, I think there's uh, uh, Ryan Wheeler from Loyola Marymount maybe could fit into that, that mix as well. Uh, it's not a bad group of power hitters, Jim. How do you, how do you compare these guys, and what, what made you decide to go with Paulson at the head of that group? Yeah, yeah, it was funny. That was a, one of the things that was tough with the Cape this year was there's not a lot of consensus after the first few guys. And one of the things I kept asking people was, how do you stack up the first baseman? And I'd get them kind of in different orders. Uh, all, all four of those guys are, are six foot four uh, guys. You know, Paulson and Patterson are more athletic than Poitras and Wheeler. Um, they all swing left handed except for Poitras. Um, you know, there's a lot of similarities. I went with Paulson ahead of those guys. Guys liked his swing better than than the rest of them. You know, he did strike out a lot. He's got a, uh, you know, one of the better swings in the league. You know, lefties give him fits. That's something he needs to work on. But uh, I think ultimately he's going to be the best hitter of that group. You know, he finished second in the league with eight homers. Um, and guys considered him the most dangerous hitter on the highest team. They included uh, Chris Dominguez, who wound up leading the Cape in homers. You know, Poitras was interesting. You know, he tried to play third base. It was kind of like a Brett Wallace move. We'll, we'll play a first baseman at third base. He's 6'4", 235. Uh, yeah, kind of consensus was on, on Poitras was uh, as a third baseman, he makes a really nice first baseman. I mean, he's, he's not going to be able to play at the hot corner. Um, you know, he had the best plate discipline of, of any of those guys. Uh, he, you know, he's the one right-handed hitter 
in that group, so it works. It's a little bit of a disadvantage. But he also, you know, his strikeout to walk ratio was pretty even. All the other guys struck out about once a game and, and didn't walk a ton. So I think he's the most probably advanced approach at this point. Um, I didn't realize, and I'm somebody who tries to catch as much of Georgia as he can because I, I went there. I, I didn't. Th- I thought he always thought of him as more of a gap hitter. He showed more power than people thought he had. Um, they, they definitely think he's a 20-25 home run guy or more. Um, he used the whole field very well, so he really did help himself. I, I, I think he really boosted his stock. And then, you know, Patterson, Patterson's probably the best athlete of that group. Um, he's actually caught a little bit in the past. Um, didn't even play a lot of first base at Auburn because Hunter Morris was on that club. He, he might have the most physically impressive tools of that group. And, and then the last guy we mentioned, uh, Ryan Wheeler, um, He's uh, he's kind of similar. He's probably not the he's probably the least athletic of, of at least the left-handed hitters there, Paulson and Patterson. But he's a pretty good first baseman. So it's just uh, you know again to reiterate, you know having to pick one of those guys. I went with Paulson because it sounded like guys like to swing the best. Okay, now Jim, let me ask you this: as, as we start to wind down here on the podcast, uh, looking at this list, first of all, who out of this this back half of the list? Uh, do you do you really like as as a sleeper guy who could who could maybe jump up uh, with with a good spring? You know who's interesting to me, and and I'd be curious, Aaron. You can chime in with with how much you know what you've heard on the guy. Is a guy not related to Ryan Wheeler, Tim Wheeler of Sacramento State, who played for Orleans. Uh, he's probably the biggest player who ever led the league in, in stolen bases. He stole fifteen this summer. Six foot four, two hundred five pounds. Um, good left handed swing. Uh, average power, strong arm. Actually, hit more homers this summer than he did. He hit three in the spring. Hit four this summer. I, I think this guy could really come into his own. And in a draft that's not real hot, you know, loaded with position players, an athletic, multi-tool, multi-tooled outfielder. Uh, I think he he's kind of like uh, you know, we were talking about uh, uh, Brett Jackson on Katua. I think Wheeler, if he continues to develop next spring, he he could maybe put himself in the first round. Yeah, I think that's a great call. He was the guy that, that reading your, your list here, was the one that really excited me the most and a guy that we'd heard a lot about last summer as well and in the spring. Uh, I think I think the, the Jackson parallel is, is, is pretty uh, apropos with him. Um, finally, let's talk about, let's talk about uh, Chris Dominguez, Jim, because this is another guy who I think people have a hard time getting a handle on because everyone's seen him uh, you know, in the College World Series hit these mammoth home runs, and everyone knows that he's got – Maybe 80 power, uh, certainly at least 70 power, uh, and an and uh, arm strength that's kind of up in that range as well. Uh, but he's number 30 on the list, and, and it seems like people have maybe a, a question about whether he'll ever hit. What, what, what do you see in this guy? Do you think he's got a shot? I do. You know, when you do these lists, and you've done a bunch of lists too, uh, you always kind of, it seems like, or at least I try to, and I, you know, I try to reserve that last spot. For a guy who who might have you know basically the guy you don't want to leave off the list in case he you know reaches his pretty high ceiling and that's what I did with Dominguez uh, I I think you're probably even selling his arms short his arms probably an 80 on the 20 to 80 scale um, his power his raw power is you know at least a 70 you might even give it an 80 you know, the question's going to come down to contact he he wound up uh, he led to you know he's a he's a draft eligible sophomore this year because he got hurt and had an injury like about two or three games that was he break his hand Aaron I think. Very early in his college career. That's right. Yep. Missed his freshman season, um, so he came back last year in 2007, and he led Division One in strikeouts. And I'm pretty sure he led the Cape in strikeouts. He struck out something like 80, 90 times in the spring, and I think close to 60 times in the Cape. Um, did hit a bunch of home runs. 
Um, came back this year, and, and both at Louisville and on the Cape, he didn't strike out as much. Um, uh, but he still strikes out a lot. I mean, he struck out 51 times this summer. Uh, and then the problem is it's not just swinging and missing. He'll swing and miss you know, by a lot. He has trouble with breaking balls. And, you know, he's a big guy, 6'5", 235. Um, I mean, you could dream on him. You look at him, he's kind of like the prototype of what you want at third base. But uh, it, I, I would say that I've yet to talk to a scout who would, you know, who's totally convinced he's going to hit. Uh, you know, people just worry if he's going to adjust to breaking balls, especially you know, when you get to pro ball. It's that one of the hugest differences, you know, you know, for players when they come to pro ball, is you know even if you're in a in, you know Louisville, you know, Conference USA, you know it's it's a mid-level college, it's probably one of the better mid-level college conferences. But you know over the course of a season, you know if Chris Dominguez has 250 at bats at Louisville, you know what would your estimate be, Aaron? That like maybe a hundred, maybe 150 of those come against pro caliber pitchers. Right. I mean, it's you know, you know in, the, in the Big East conferences. I think a conference that's improving, but I mean, let's face it, it's not the same caliber of pitching that you're seeing in the SEC or ACC or Pac-10. Right, and you know, and then I get that you do a better job of staying on top of the conference. I had him in Conference USA, so anyway, Big East. But yeah, so you have the the, the problem. You know, that, that's one of those things. He's just, he's not even seeing that many quality breaking balls now, and they're just he's going to see more of them. They're going to get better. Uh, you know, the one thing that everybody brings up with this guy, and I mean, literally everybody. You ask a scout about him. And they'll say, oh, yeah, you know, like the power, you know, worry about the bat. And they all say, I'd love to see this kid on the mound. You know, he has pitched a little bit, but he doesn't want to pitch. So you're not going to be able to sign him as a pitcher. I mean, but Chris Dominguez could be one of these guys, and maybe if he plays four or five years of pro ball, and if he doesn't hit, you, you see, you know, that they try to make him a pitcher midway through his career. But so I, I put him at number 30 on the list uh, just because, you know, if he reaches his ceiling, you're talking about, you know, a guy who could maybe win a home run championship in the, in the big leagues. But but it's just there's a big gap between where he is now and, and what he possibly could become. All right, Jim, and the last thing before we uh, let you go here in the college podcast, uh, the league is obviously every year so much deeper than any other college league, and um, you know you really could go deeper than 30 probably pretty easily. Um, I'm looking at some names that, that did not make your top 30 that uh, I think are intriguing, guys like Ryan Jones and Gary Brown from uh, Wichita State and Cal State Florida, respectively, who are I think both – premium athletes, uh, Brown more, I mean, both I think have good speed, Brown maybe more speed, and Jones maybe more power potential, uh, I mean, Josh Rutledge, a shortstop from Alabama, just a really good scrappy player, and, um, you know, there's some good arms who didn't make the list, like Alex Wilson from Texas A&M, a, a guy who I think, you know, honestly, I think could jump up and be a first-round pick if he had a really good year, uh, when he was a freshman and he was up to 94 with a wicked slider, there was talk that he's a, a potential first-rounder down the road. Uh, Sammy Solis, the left-hander from San Diego. I know that there's, you know, there's mixed mixed opinions on him as well, but he's a guy I really like. So my question is, who out of the guys who didn't make the top 30 uh, do you really like? Well, I think Wilson's definitely got to watch. You know, he, he had a good chance to be a first-round pick this year had he not had Tommy John surgery. He got hurt toward the end of the Cape season in 2007, didn't pitch at all for Texas A&M this spring. And it was a guy who... You know, looking back, or not looking back, but looking forward, I, I could see him outperforming some of these guys on the list as he gets healthier. He, he just wasn't consistent with his stuff, which was true of a lot of the Cape pitchers, but he's just not all the way back. I mean, the surgery, I think at this point, is only 11 months behind him. And typically, you know, with Tommy John surgery, you're fighting your command and you're fighting your breaking ball for a little while. So, I mean, he's a guy who, you know, if it comes back next year, he could be a first-round pick uh, next spring, no question. You know, you mentioned... Uh, 
you know, Ryan Jones and uh, Gary Brown, your, your scouting reports on those guys were both accurate. I, I think an outfielder, you know, center fielder who runs well and had a pretty nice cape was Jordan Henry of Old Miss. Um, and again, I mean, I, I wouldn't surprise me if he's maybe a second-round pick next year. Um, another lefty, you mentioned Solis. There's a kid at uh, Falmouth, another Falmouth kid from uh, Lipscomb, uh, Rex Brothers, uh, who, who's got a really good arm. Uh, He's a John yeah. Manuel favorite, I feel like I should say. John's been uh, talking about Rex Brothers for a couple of years now, so he'll be glad that you mentioned his name there on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, it's tough. I mean, it's tough with the pitchers. There's only so many guys. Put on a couple guys who, who I hadn't heard a whole lot about. Who guys, you know, mentioned to me. You know, there's a kid at Clemson named Graham Stoneburner, who some guys mentioned. He was one of the harder throwers in the league. I, I like him you know, a lot, Jim. Okay, and there's a kid at Princeton named David Hale, who hasn't had a whole lot of success, but had one of the better pure arms in the league and if, if he puts things together he could go pretty nicely in the draft too well jim it's uh it's it's been great talking about all these guys with you here on the podcast it's always fun to uh revisit the the cape league season with so much talent and uh thanks for joining us here on the on the baseball america podcast to jim callis and uh john Manuel, and uh to our our listeners thank you very much and until next time this is aaron fit saying so long Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.